Well, good morning. Everybody doing okay? Okay, fantastic. That sounds awesome. You sound like you're doing really, really good. Um, I, I was told I'm given tw 20 minutes to preach this morning. Someone on my staff yesterday said, uh, Luke, you can't order lunch in 20 minutes. So uh, it's going to be difficult to do a full sermon. So listen, uh, we, we can't do any clever intros this morning. We can't do any like ramp into this thing. I'm just going to be real straight with you what we're talking about. And then we're going to get into scripture together. What I want to talk about this morning with you is your ministry. My assumption is that you chose Tyndale because at some point uh, in your life, you decided that you want to make an impact for the kingdom, for the glory of Christ, and for the gospel. That, that, that you made a choice to be here because you wanted to get some biblical training, some Christian education. You wanted to kind of get your theology right and your practice right so that you could make an impact for the kingdom of God. That at some point that you're going to, in vocational ministry or avocational ministry, you're going to serve as an elder or a counselor or a pastor or a teacher, instructor, professor. At some point, part-time, full-time, not at all, but, or, or not paid at all, but you're, you want to make an impact for the kingdom of God. That's my assumption as to why you're here. So I want to kind of clue you in on three things for me that have been enormously impactful to, to kind of wrap my mind around, and I continue to do that now even in my ministry today. Three things that I want to kind of help you wrap your mind around this morning that I think will help you as you move forward in your Christian education and then uh, making an impact for the gospel of Christ in your life. And before I do that, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, like Joan said, I'm, I'm from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and um, I really, really love hockey. I, I love to watch hockey. Uh, from, from, the, from the warmth and climate control of my living room. I think it's, I think it's outstanding. And uh, a friend of mine in Phoenix is uh, a hockey player. He plays for the Coyotes, and he used to be the captain of the Canadian national team here, a guy named Shane Doan. If you're, if you're familiar with hockey, right? So he's a believer. He's an outstanding guy. He's been playing in the NHL for almost 20 years. He, he's, he's a wonderful human being. He's a good friend. So... Um, in order to illustrate a sermon once at the church that I served at back in Phoenix, we decided that it would be a good idea to put me in full goaltender gear and, and step out on the ice with Shane so I could take a couple of slap shots. If you are a hockey fan, you know that Shane is kind of widely considered as one of the top three hardest shots in the NHL. He hits a puck like at over 100 miles an hour, and the darn thing is a frozen piece of rubber. So I show up to the practice facility at uh, the ice den there where the Coyotes practice. And, and a workout partner of mine back there used to play uh, for the Minnesota Wild and for the Coyotes a little bit as a goaltender. So I'm sitting with him in this room and he's putting his goaltender gear on me. And I have a pair of rental skates on. Are you familiar with the rental skates? They're like... Thin as origami paper, right? They're not. So he's like, let's get these skates off of you because you see this place on my foot. Shane broke that place on my foot with a puck one time. So let's put my skates on you. I said, well, that sounds like a good idea, right? And the whole time he's putting this gear on me, he keeps repeating this phrase. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen anyone do <laughs> in my whole life. So then he put his helmet on me and he put his pads on me. And then again, this is the dumbest thing 
I've ever seen anyone do in my whole life. He said, you need to put this glove on. I'm about to put the glove on. He said, no, no, no. We got to put like three layers of padding because you see this place in my hand. Shane broke that place in my hand. I'm like, how many bones of yours did Shane break? You know? So I, I waddle out of the locker room, and just to clue you in on something, I've been on skates up to that point twice, <laughs> twice in my entire life. One time that I was on skates, I didn't actually get onto the ice. I just put them on, they looked fantastic, and then I took them off, right? <laughs> so then I, I skate out onto the ice, and when I say skate, I look like a baby deer, you know what I mean? That's like... You know, and the hyenas are about to come and get me. You know, like the hyenas can smell the blood from a mile away, right? And so I'm like out on the ice like this, and Shane looks at me and goes, Oh, this is gonna be fun. And I said, For you, maybe. Right? So I get out onto the ice. And what I didn't realize is that, um, is that right w- when we were kind of doing this thing, the coyotes were ready to practice <laughs> right after we were finished filming this video. So the entire Coyotes team is lined up on the boards behind me <laughs> as I make my way, and I fall three times from the box into the net. And then Shane goes, uh, here's the deal, put, put your glove up. And he, he just kind of flicks a puck at me and he hits me right in the glove. And I thought, oh man, I thought this was only the speed that I needed to be concerned about. It's also the accuracy. It's the accuracy that I need to be concerned about. Then he starts hitting stuff harder and harder at me. And I just can't barely stand up. I certainly can't get to it. And if it's coming out of me, God knows I'm not going to be able to get out of the way, right? And you can hear me on the video. I'm screaming like a 14-year-old girl at a Justin Bieber show. I mean, I am just, (laughs) you know, you can hear me. And you can hear the entire Coyotes team laughing hysterically at me behind the thing, right? So then, she, then Shane says, all right, Luke, I'm going to turn a couple loose on you now. And I'm going, oh, you haven't turned any loose yet, right? So he skates from the blue line and just rears back and fully misses the puck. And I thought, oh, no, then you can't even control it, can you? You can't control it. <laughs> so he's, oh, that's never happened before. That's never happened before. I'm like, boy, it's never happened before. You can't control it, you know? So he hits a couple at me, and it sounds like shotgun blasts go off behind me when the puck hits the boards. I mean, it is horrible. So at the end of this thing, somebody goes, all right, I think we've kind of got the video, right? I think we've kind of got it down. And he goes, all right, I'm going to take one more shot. The last shot he takes, he just flicks a puck at me. And on the video, you see me turn sideways like this. I'm squatted down in like goaltender stance, right? And the puck disappears between my legs and falls onto the ice. And I fall directly on top of the puck. (laughs) Then behind me, laying face down, crying, about to throw up on the ice, you see Shane skate by like this. (laughs) He's so thrilled that he's actually hit me in the bread basket with a frozen puck. He thinks it's the funniest thing he's ever done in his life. And while I'm laying on the floor in pain, Cold, alone, crying, about to vomit, people laughing at me. I think, you know what? This is a lot like church work. (laughs) It's a lot like church work. A lot of pain, a lot of crying, a lot of people laughing at you. 
You have no idea what you're doing most of the time. You feel like a baby deer on roller skates, and, and you try to do your best, and then people skate by and laugh at you while you're on the ice, cold, alone, and, and wondering what in the world just happened. So let's pray and close this morning because that's all I wanted to tell you. That's not all I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to tell you is that as you get into ministry, it is going to stink a lot of the time. For some of you, it's going to stink most of the time. For a few of you, it's going to stink all of the time. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But it's worth it. It's worth every minute of it. I'm 34 years old. That's all I've ever done since I was 18. I've given my life for the gospel and for the kingdom. Moved across the country from warm Phoenix, Arizona to sunny Toronto, Canada, right? For the gospel because it's worth it. It hurts. It's painful. You're going to cry sometimes. And people are going to roll by laughing at you while you're cold and alone on the ice. But it's worth every minute of it. I just want to tell you three things, three things from the story of David and Goliath this morning that might help you not mitigate pain, but maximize impact. My goal for you this morning is not to mitigate pain, to kind of file the edges off and to say, hey, if you do these one, two, three, four, five things, it's going to get easier. If I ever figure those things out, I'll come back and tell you what they are. But in 16 years of professional ministry, I've never figured out how to make it easier. So my goal is not to mitigate pain. If it was, I would never accomplish it. My goal is to maximize your impact. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. I don't want you to turn there yet. I just want you to hear one more time the story of David and Goliath that you've heard so many times before. The story begins this way. The Philistines are encamped on one side of a valley called the Valley of Elah, and the, the Israelites are encamped on the other side of the valley, and it's a critical valley to control in, in, the, in, in kind of the Middle East there because it divides the Judean hills. And so whoever controlled that valley controlled that area. And they're encamped, and, and, and they're kind of at a standstill here. They're kind of at a pause moment because nobody's really doing anything. Because if you go down into this valley, you kind of hose yourself a little bit. So Philistines aren't coming down. Israelites aren't coming down. They're just encamped on either side of this valley waiting for something to happen. So the Philistines get this brilliant idea to engage in what's called champion warfare. It was really, really normal back then. What they do is they'd send out their best guy and they'd call for the other army's best guy. They'd battle one-on-one -on -one, and each of those men would, would be representatives of that army. So they would battle to, to the death and whoever won, their army won and whoever lost their army lost so the Philistines send out a man named Goliath of Gath Goliath of Gath the the, the scripture gives us some some kind of uh, measurements for Goliath he's nine foot nine inches tall nine foot nine inches tall six cubits in a span nine foot nine uh, in case uh, somebody ever questions that for you and say nine foot nine like really that's like really the case nine foot nine one the Bible says it so there you go number two um, there are there's historical evidence in Egyptian papyri and, and other things that that demonstrate that there were warriors of that size at that time there's a couple of skeletons found in that kind of area of the world almost eight feet tall these skeletons both female 
large individuals. This man was really nine foot nine inches tall. It says that his staff was like a weaver's beam. It's about the size of a fat end of a baseball bat. The head of his spear weighed 15 pounds. He's wearing over 150 pounds of armor. And to add insult to injury, they send out a little pipsqueak like me, right? Five foot nine generously. An armor bearer that comes out before Goliath and he carries his armor and then Goliath comes out behind him. Why in the world, if you're nine foot nine inches tall and you have a spear and a staff and you're just like gnarly big dude, do you send out a little pipsqueak like me to add insult to injury? I will never know. But I would really like that job, you know, armor bearer. I think that would be great because it makes you look really good and you don't have to do anything. But that's beside the point. The point is they send Goliath out into this valley and Goliath says, send out your best man. The nation of Israel has a best man and that man's name is Saul. He's their king, but he's kind of a coward. Not only is he a coward, he's not the king that Israel should have. Remember, because they've rejected Yahweh as their king, and they've chosen Saul. And why did they choose him? Because he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else, and he looked like a king. He doesn't want this job. He ran and hid in the luggage when they said, hey, uh, we, we would like you to be the king. He ran and hid. By the way, if you're ever choosing a leader, and they run and hide from that job, that's probably not the person you want as your leader, right? So when Goliath says, I want someone to come out, who should go? Saul. And he's a coward. He doesn't do anything. So right about this time, there's three brothers named Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, and they're in the army and the nation of Israel, and their younger brother comes to visit them. This young man's name is David. He is not in the army and the nation of Israel, because historical records tell us, and the scripture tells us just kind of what's going on in this passage. He's not old enough quite yet. He's probably around 12 or 13 years old at this time. And he shows up, he's a shepherd in the fields and in the field, and he shows up to deliver groceries to his brother. His dad says, Look, take some cheese and take some bread to your brothers. By the way, like if you were a soldier in this time, it, you would get like a loaf of bread and like a gallon of beer a week for your for your um, wages, which is sign me up as if that's kind of what if that's what they're asking for but but so David shows up for bread and with bread and cheese and groceries for his brothers and he hears what's been going on now for 40 days Goliath has walked out in this valley for 40 days and he's mocked the nation of Israel and he's mocked their God and no one's doing anything so David says I'll do it I'll do it and Saul says, well, you're an idiot. You're like 12. And this guy has been killing people as long as you've been alive. This is dumb. And David says, no, seriously, like a lion attacked my sheep one time and I killed him. And another wild animal attacked my sheep one time and I killed that wild animal. Like, I can kill him. He, he's easy. He's easy. And Saul says, all right, here's the deal. Put on my armor. So David looks like... A little kid wearing his dad's suit. He can't even move around because the armor is too big and too heavy. So he's like, you know what? I haven't tested this stuff. He casts it off. He picks up a couple stones. He walks out into the middle of this valley. And Goliath says to him, are you a, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and rocks? This is ridiculous. And David says something to this effect. Look, here's, here's what's going to happen, dude. Uh, I'm going to throw a rock at you, 
doesn't say that, but he says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to feed your body to the beasts of the field and to the birds of the air. So all your little punk friend army back there can see it. And all the nation of Israel can see it so that everyone will know that there is a God in Israel. So Goliath says, all right, let's give it a shot. So David picks up a rock. He slings it at him. It sinks into his head. He falls to the ground. David walks over, cuts off his head, and the Philistines scatter like chickens, right? It's, it's, it's really interesting the scripture talks about this. It's, it's very, the language there is very interesting because it's very matter of fact. David doesn't threaten. David just says, here's, here's just what's going to happen. So that all will know that there is a God in Israel. I want to pick up three lessons from the life of David. Three lessons as you face Goliaths in your ministry. As you're crying cold and alone on the ice in pain and people are laughing at you. As you look at your ministry going forward, as you look at the things that God has called you to do, and they seem overwhelming, they seem inconquerable, they seem like too much. Three lessons from the life of David to put into practice now, not to mitigate pain, but to maximize impact. The first one is this. And here's where we're going to look at the scripture. The first one is this. Learn how to carry the groceries. Learn how to carry the groceries. Because here's the deal. Everybody wants to be a Goliath defeater in ministry. Everybody wants to have a big church. Everybody wants to have a maximum impact. Everybody wants to, you know, do a lot of counseling and do a lot of stuff and all that. And everybody wants to kind of conquer Goliath. We all kind of have these dreams that God has placed in our hearts, these dreams that we have for ourselves, for our life, for, for the glory of Jesus and for the gospel. But very few of us are willing to obey in the very little things that David was willing to obey in. Remember, David didn't show up and kill Goliath. What's the first thing that David does in the passage chronologically in terms of obedience? He shepherds his dad's sheep. He shepherds his dad's sheep. And then wild animals show up and he defends the sheep from wild animals. Then when his dad says, hey, look, uh, I need a favor. You're not getting promoted. You're getting demoted from shepherd to grocery boy. I need you to take groceries to your brothers on the front lines. What does David do? Sure. Happy to do it. And he shows up on the front lines. And it's then and only then does he get an opportunity to conquer a giant like Goliath. Sometimes God's greatest doors of opportunity rest on the smallest hinges of obedience. Sometimes God's greatest doors of opportunity for you in your ministry, in your life, rest on the smallest hinges of obedience. David had built a life of faithfulness, built a life of experiencing God's faithfulness by doing the little things. Shepherding sheep carrying the groceries, being obedient to what his dad asked, being obedient to the very, very small things that God wanted him to do. Men and women of God, I'll just be real straight with you. Can you say before God and nobody else, because I don't know you, God does. This is between you and the God you serve, that you are obeying in the little things so that you can develop a, a pattern of trusting God and watching him come through for you in the big things. Look at it. 
Look at it. Verse 14. 1 Samuel 17, verse 14. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brother's grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brother's. And David says, Sure. Without hesitation, without thinking twice, that's my job. I go do it. Honestly, be honest with the Lord and say, God, am I obeying in the little things? Am I making choices in the music that I listen to? Am I making choices in the way that I spend my time? Am I making choices and not spending 14 hours on a Saturday playing video games? Praise God. Um, just because the new PS4 came out or whatever that stupid thing is. I don't even know what it is. It's ridiculous, right? Am, am, I making, am I making little decisions in the way that I spend my time, the way that I spend my money, the way that I think, the way that I interact with the person that I'm dating, the way that I interact with my friends, the way that I serve at my church? I see too many young men in ministry that want to like smoke a pipe because Spurgeon did, you know, and, and, and they, they sit around and they talk about doing God's work and they never do squat about it. Frustrates the daylights out of me because they all want to talk about all the great things they're doing in ministry. I'm like, wow, you sure talk about it a lot. What are you doing? What are you doing? I may not get invited back, <laughs> but I want to be straight with you that a life of maximum impact in ministry gets built in small choices, little obedience in the very, very small things. And you learn God's faithfulness in the small things and in the medium things and then in the big things. When he asked me at 34 years old to move from a city that my wife was born in and I've been living for 25 years from a very, very successful large church of 5,000 where I loved my ministry. Both my families lived there and friends and everything else. To have moved to Toronto. Like, like Texas? No, it's Canada, dude. Another country? <laughs> I'd seen God be faithful in so many little things. So when he asked me to do the biggest thing in my life and trust him and step out in faith and say, I think I can conquer that giant. Not me, certainly, but I'd seen the Lord be faithful so many times in so many little things. It was easy to do the big thing. Learn to carry the groceries. Make those decisions now. Number two. Number two, focus on God's glory. Focus on God's glory. I love the way that David talks to Goliath. Verse 45, 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. It says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Listen to David's words again. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly, both Israel and the Philistines, may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. You see, David is not after his own glory. He's not out to defend his brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, cowards too. He's not out to defend Saul. He's not out to defend the glory of Israel. He is out to defend the glory of the name of Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He's resolutely focused, laser beam focused on God's fame and God's glory. And I know that it's kind of like in vogue now, right? Because everybody's like, I read a lot of Luther and a lot of, a lot of Calvin. I'm, I'm, ref- I'm very reformed theologically, so I'm, I'm focused on, on God's glory and, uh, and uh, you know, election and predestination and those things. The atonement, very limited, you know, focusing on God's glory. I, like, I know that's like kind of the hip thing to be now. Like, and everybody, again, everyone's like wants to read Spurgeon and all this stuff. Like, I, don't, I can't even understand Spurgeon. Like, I read Ed Young. This is easy, you know, awesome, right? So here's the deal. Everybody wants to focus on God's glory, and I think that if we, like, all in this room and put our hands together, we could put our hands together and say, God is glorious, God deserves recognition, God deserves fame to the ends of the earth. There might be a lot of things that we disagree on, a lot of stuff that we disagree on. But God deserves recognition. His name deserves to be lifted up. We could all put our hands in the middle and say that. But what about when in your life the crud hits the fan a little bit? What about that moment where you're laying face down on the ice and people are laughing at you? What about when life gets hard? What about when life gets difficult? What about when someone gives you news that you don't want to hear? about your skills and gifts and abilities? What about when a professor or an instructor or a pastor says to you, I know you really want to do this, but you're not gifted at that. Here's how you're gifted. Those are tough things to hear. And in those moments, do you still say, God is glorious. God deserves fame. God deserves recognition, and I will do whatever it takes. Carry the groceries, shepherd the sheep. I got, a, I got a buddy. He's one of the most talented, naturally gifted people I've ever known. I've known him since the fourth grade. He's outstandingly gifted. He's 30 years old. He could be pastoring a megachurch. Seriously. I mean, a degree from Phoenix Seminary, the whole deal. You know what he does? He's a children's ministry intern, part-time. Ooh. (laughs) Sorry, children's ministry people. (laughs) I don't like people that are shorter than like that, you know? They need to be taller. I don't like people in general, really. I'm probably in the wrong field, right? Um, And you know why? Because someone asked him to, and he said, God deserves glory, 
and these kids deserve to know it, so I'm happy to serve, happy to carry the groceries. And God's going to call him to do greater things, I'm confident, but he's so focused on God's glory and God's fame and not his own that those little things become easy, those tough things, those difficult decisions become very, very clear. 98% of the time when you tell yourself so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's all-powerful. And he's lifted up above all things. Number one, learn to carry the groceries. Number two, focus on God's glory. Number three, take faith-based action. Take faith-based action. I counted there are more than 30 verbs used for David in 17 verse, or in, in, in chapter 17, so in 50 verses. More than 30 verbs. David took, David chose, David selected, David put on, David took off. Verbs, action. My favorite is verse 48 because it, it adds an adverb. The scripture adds an adverb. I'm a member of SAS, Save the Adverb Society. David does not run fast. David runs quickly, please. Save the Adverb Society. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet to the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Did you hear all the verbs? All the verbs? David put in his bag. David took out a stone. He slung it. He struck. David prevailed. David struck the Philistine and killed him. David ran quickly. David took faith-based action. Again, just me, just my experience, I know Tyndale is a unique place, and it's unlike any other seminary that's ever been on the face of the planet, right? I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk about other seminaries. I'll talk about Phoenix Seminary. How about that? Because that's where I'm from, and I know a lot of people there, so I'll just talk badly about them for a little while. How about that? So I have a lot of friends that went there. I have a couple of friends that are instructors there, wonderful individuals. Sometimes when, when we're young, uh, and, and, and that's me too, uh, please, I'm 34, so let's just all just say we're all young. Here's what, here's what we like to do. We like to kind of wait for that moment, Right? Even like in dating relationships, you know, people are like, I'm just waiting for that one to come along. And, you know, maybe we'd court for a while, do a coffee or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he would ask my parents. I don't know. And we're, we're waiting. We're like stuck. And I'm not saying like go ask somebody out. That's not what I'm saying. Here's, here's, here's what maybe you need to. I don't know. Praise God. I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I'm saying. Please do not wait to make an impact for the kingdom. Please do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. Please don't use that as an excuse. Please don't twiddle your thumbs and go, that perfect thing's going to come along. 
that perfect job, that perfect opportunity. Someone's going to pay me a whole lot of money to like study and write papers because that's what I want to do. Like it, it might come. It might come. But act, do, run quickly towards those big things that God has called you to, to those Goliaths, those giants that he has called you to conquer for the sake of his name and his glory. Don't sit around with people and don't look at your week and go, where did my time go? Do stuff. Read Pray, study, get around non-believers so you can tell them about the glory of the God of Israel. Act, serve, plug in, get in a small group, serve in children's ministry at your church, go serve at a soup kitchen. Like I just meet too many people at seminaries, Phoenix Seminary and everywhere else, right? That, that it's like, man, I, I, read a lot of, I read a lot of books about feeding, feeding the homeless. I mean, I read all of Steve Shogren's stuff, right? It's like, well, wait, well do, what do you do? I, I read about it. And then I tell other people about the tactics that I've read about. No. Please don't use that as an excuse because, like, I'm, I, I, I read a lot of stuff and I'm young, so I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm going to collect all this knowledge. Then I get older. Then I'm going to fire out of the gate. You're older than David was. You're smarter than David was at 12. You have more education, more opportunity than he did. And he fought a Goliath that was nine foot, nine inches tall. Sank a stone into his forehead and said, all the earth knows there's a God in Israel. Then he walked away. Just so you know, even these moments prepared David to be the king in Israel. And, you know, he had his faults too, right? He had his faults too. But he did stuff. He took action, verbs, not sitting, doing. He ran quickly toward the Philistine. Three things. Maximizing your impact in ministry, not mitigating pain. Maximizing your impact. Learn now to carry the groceries. Learn to obey in the little things. Focus on God's glory that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and take faith-based action. Run quickly towards those Goliaths because God is worth it. Every second, every moment, every tear, every time you're down on face down on the ice and people laughing at you cold and alone, God is worth every bit of it. Let me pray for you and then you can go. God, thanks for an opportunity to chat a little bit about your word this morning, about your glory, about your great worth. God, thanks for your presence here in this place. God, I just even think of the faces that I see in this room. God, I ask that you would wrap your arms around them, even in their studies and even in their preparation, in their own ministry, at their churches, all over the GTA. God, that you would empower, give them boldness, give them courage. God, that they would obey in the little things, that they would focus on your glory, and that they would run quickly towards what you've prepared in advance for them to do. In the name of Christ, men and women of God, with enthusiasm said, amen. amen. Thanks for having me.